0: Good morning again. Good morning. Pleasure to be here with you all. Wow, there must have been a lot of kids in this sanctuary. <laughs> it's great to be here with you all. As I said, we are continuing in our series in 2 Samuel, and we are going to pick up uh, right where Pastor David left off last week, quite literally. If you remember, he spoke about the incident with Uzzah in the ark, how we touched the ark, and God broke out against him and struck him dead. and David's anger over the fact that God broke out against Uzzah just because he touched the ark, and and David left off by providing us with some key takeaways from that incident. We all know what they were, right? I'm going to remind us. One of them was that God is worthy to receive our highest worship. Can I get an amen? amen? All right, see, we were left with a challenge last week, if you remember. He said, maybe we need to improve the quality of our worship of God. Have we all thought about that this week? I have. You know, I think, and I speak for myself, too, I think the privilege that we have to come together into God's presence to worship him is very often lost on us. I think that's why sometimes we come here not to worship, but because it's just what we do on Sunday mornings. Sometimes Sunday morning worship is just a have-to for us, and we do it even though on some Sundays we really don't want to. Here's the thing, you know, I was thinking, if, if Jesus himself was physically going to be here, if we advertised to you, Jesus will be here next week, and he has something to say to you, and he wants to be worshipped by you, what would happen? Oh, this place would be full. We'd all be here five hours early to make sure we got a good seat, right? You know, we sometimes lose the fact that Christ is here, I and mean, that this is exactly what we come together for every Sunday. We're here today to offer our Lord the highest worship. Is that what we're here to do? Another takeaway last week was that the ark, David said, is a graphic illustration of the gospel. Remember, the ark represented God's presence with his people. The place where the ark was, was where God wanted his people to come and offer their worship. God commanded them to come there to worship him. And when we think about that, in light of what happened in our passage last week, in light of what happened to Uzzah, that's amazing, right? I mean, a perfectly holy God, a God so holy that even the slightest deviation from his commands means we deserve exactly what Uzzah got. This God wanted to be present with his people, and he was present with his people. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Isn't that a terrifying thing? You know, it's both, isn't it? This is what we read at the end of the passage, starting in verse 9, that David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the Ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the Ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. See, David knew how wonderful it was that God was with his people. That's why he wanted the Ark to be in Jerusalem, the new capital of Israel. But at the same time, he was so terrified of God's presence because God was so perfectly holy, because God requires perfect holiness from his people, that he sent the Ark away. And that's where we pick up today. David sends the ark to the house of a man named Obed-Edom. And we're reading in verse 11, And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Who is this Obed-Edom? I mean, he's mentioned only here in these two verses in 2 Samuel. And we don't know much about him, but you know what, the lack of any information sometimes really makes me wonder, why in the world did David choose this man to send the ark to his house? Well, in 1 Chronicles, we actually learn a little more about him. We learn that he was... A Levite, because remember the Levites were given charge by God over the ark. We find out that he was one of the worship leaders of Israel. As the ark is brought into the city of David, as we'll see, Obed Edom is one of the musicians that David assigns to play with his worship music as they celebrate. Then we're told once the ark is placed in the tent that David commanded the musicians to minister before the Lord every day. They got to do that every day. Isn't that amazing? But there's more because Obed-Edom, he was one of only two men David selected to be the gatekeeper of the ark. He he was literally the protector of the ark, just like he was for the three months the presence of God was at his house. He was able to remain in the presence of the ark. What a privileged position that is. He got to spend all of his time right there in the presence of God. But notice, before the ark is brought to Jerusalem, before obed is assigned to play his lyre before the ark, before he's given the awesome task of being the gatekeeper, before any of this happens, just having the ark in his house, just having the presence of God with him, we're told over and over is a blessing for him. And not just for him, for his whole family. The whole family is blessed, we're told, while the ark resided in his house. His whole family was blessed by the very presence of God in their home, by this graphic illustration of the gospel. They were blessed just by the fact that God was with them. And David notices this. Verse 12, he's told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the Ark of God. So David went and brought up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. See, David sees this great blessing of God's presence represented by the Ark. He sees this man and his family being blessed, and David wants that blessing. David wants that blessing for all of Israel. So David decides, once again, I'm going to bring the Ark to Jerusalem. Only this time, he doesn't put it on a new cart. He doesn't just decide, "Mm, what's the most practical way to move the ark? No, he obeys God, and he does it God's way. And part of that is offering God the highest worship. Verse 13, and when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he, meaning David, sacrificed an ox and a fatted animal. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. This is anything but a, uh, I kind of have to worship today, but really don't want to, isn't it? I mean, they get to bring the ark to Jerusalem. They rejoice at the opportunity to worship God and be in his presence. David dances before the Lord. He dances in the presence of God with all his might. The whole house of Israel is shouting and celebrating. They were celebrating that God, that his holy presence was now in the midst of them. They all relished the opportunity to be in God's presence and to offer him that worship. And that's what they do. I mean, picture the scene: scene, the ark is picked up as it leaves the house of Obed-Edom. David stops, stop everybody. And he sacrifices to God, an ox and a fatted animal. He offers God the best of the offerings. He offers God the highest worship. And then because God is now with them, the celebration is on. People are going into the city with the presence of God. David's dancing. There. People are playing music. They're shouting. They're blowing the horn. They're offering all kinds of praise to God. What do we do when we come together as God's people? How do we come into his presence to worship him? Let me ask first. Do we come? If we do, do we come reluctantly ever? Do we ever come because we feel like we have to? Or do we come every Sunday morning eager to offer God the highest worship? Do we come ready to offer him the best of what we have? Do we come to relish the very presence of God and celebrate that he is here with us? You know, it's believed that David wrote Psalm 68 about this, about the ark coming into Jerusalem. Listen to what he writes in Psalm 68. He says, God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell dwell there. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Our God is a God of salvation. And to God the Lord belongs deliverance from death. Your procession is seen, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. So what we're seeing here in this passage. The singers in front, the musicians last, between them virgins playing tambourines. Bless God in the great congregation, O Lord. O you who are of Israel's fountain, summon your power, O God, the power, O God, by which you have worked for us. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God, sing praises to the Lord, to him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens. Behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice, ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. God's presence is with his people. And God's blessing is for his people. And so worship and praise are due to him and him alone. This is what the people of Israel were doing. They celebrated around the ark, giving him praise. It's what David did, dancing, because he worshiped the Lord. This is why we're here this morning. It is. We should introduce words like exult back into our vocabulary, shouldn't we, when we come here on Sunday mornings? This is why we're here. This is what they were doing. Verse 17, and they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place, inside of a tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. David gets the blessing of God's presence. See, Obed-Edom knew the presence and the blessing. David recognized God's presence and knew the blessing. The people of Israel together celebrated God's presence, and they knew the blessing. We have that blessing. We should know that blessing. We have it every time we come together to offer God our worship. Be honest. Did you come here this morning expecting to be blessed? That's what we should expect when we come here. There's something else I want us to notice before we move on. We are told that David offered sacrifices to God as the ark left the house of Obed-Edom. We're told here that once it gets to the tent, David offers burnt and peace offerings before God. We're also told this. I don't want us to miss this. Back in verse 14, we read that David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. Now, it's significant that David is wearing this linen ephod. I mean, the writer makes specific mention of that fact. Why? Well, because the ephod was the garb of the priests. In Exodus, when God gives the instructions for the high priest and what he's supposed to wear, that's when we first read of the ephod. We saw the beginning of 1 Samuel, how Samuel was given an ephod to wear as he ministered in the tabernacle. We saw when the priests of Nob were killed by Saul, they were referred to as those who wore the linen ephod when Abiathar escaped the slaughter of the priest, he comes to David and we're told specifically he brought with him an ephod. That's the ephod that contained the Urim and the Thummim that David could use to determine the will of God. Well here, David's wearing the ephod. He's wearing the garb of a priest. And not only that, but David is sacrificing before the ark. He's offering the burnt offering. He's offering the peace offering, which God commanded only priests could do. So, why is David wearing an ephod? Why is David offering these offerings? I'll tell you why. Because David was a priest. Now, how's that possible? Right? He wasn't in the line of Aaron, he wasn't even a Levite. He was from Judah. Remember, we saw a few weeks ago how David no longer needed the Arim and the Thummim to determine God's will because once he became king, we saw he was also a prophet. Well, here we see David is also a priest. God accepted David as a priest. Because remember who David points us to, to our great king, priest, and prophet, the ultimate high priest, who made the ultimate peace offering before God, and the one who brought God's presence into the midst of his people. And I don't think it's coincidence, because I don't believe in coincidence, actually. I don't think it's coincidence that this is the last time we read in the historical writings of Israel anything about this ephod of the priests. Because this points us to the universal priesthood of God. You know, the Apostle Peter tells us that this is us in Christ, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As we read here in 2 Samuel, God's presence visibly comes at the midst of his people, and he accepts sacrifices from David as a priest. And I think it's also no coincidence that the only other mention of the ephod in the entire Old Testament after this comes from the prophet Hosea. He predicts that those who were not God's people would be God's people. He predicts that those who have not received mercy would receive mercy. And the portion of that promise ends with this in Hosea 3. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. See, Jose is talking, Hosea is talking uh, initially about the captivity and the subsequent restoration of the remnants of Israel. He says you will be without the priesthood, you'll be without the ark, you'll be without the sacrificial system. But when the restoration happens, he says, you are going to seek these things in Yahweh God and in David, your king. But we know from history there was no king in Israel after the captivity, ever again. See, this isn't just speaking of God's physical people, this is speaking about us. Just like the physical requirements for the priesthood Went out the window with David. See, this is talking about Christ, who is Yahweh God, who sits on the throne of David. And note here, it says his people in these last days are going to come to him in fear, but also recognizing the goodness of his presence. This is talking about us right now. Talking about us this morning. This is the the worship we offer to God, to Jesus Christ, because he's here. See, we don't need the ark. We don't need an ephah. You know why? Because we are the place of God's presence. When we come together on a Sunday morning, God is here. We are holy ground. We are his priests. We are those who offer spiritual sacrifices to him. Priests of God, are we we here to offer God what we have? See, that's what David did. David does the work of a priest. He wears the ephod. He offers the sacrifices. He pronounces the blessing on the people. These are all jobs of the priest. David does that. Now the ark is an intent David made. David and God are both home in Jerusalem. But there's more to the story. Verse 16, we read, As the ark of Yahweh came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. As David pointed out, this is David David Langford pointed out, this is King David's first wife, Michal. She here sees David in all his worship, and she's not happy. And we see why in verse 20. She says, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Yikes. I think Michal maybe had a problem with the way David was worshiping here. That she says, oh, you uncovered yourself before the female servants of your servants. This is sarcasm here. She's saying, you embarrassed yourself in front of everybody the way you acted today, David. You're bringing attention to yourself. This is about you. See, Michal saw David, the priest of God, saw his joy, his uninhibited and pure worship of God. And she says, you made a spectacle of yourself. But David corrects her. He does not do it gently. David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house, To appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. Not gentle, right? This is no, maybe you misunderstood a little, honey. No, David says, no, God has chosen me. And I will celebrate in the presence of God. And then David brings Saul into it. He should have pointed out, no, 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 no. Saul and his house have been rejected by God. I've been chosen. Now don't forget, Michal is Saul's daughter. She is of the house of Saul. Bold move by David. Gentlemen, do not bring your in-laws into a discussion with your wife when you're arguing. My brother-in-law is here today, Have Mom? But what David says, he says, no, no, no. This is the worship that I owe to God. Offering him the best. Relishing in his presence. Having a healthy fear of him. He says, this is the right way to worship God. And he's not so subtly saying to her, hey, you know who didn't worship that way? Your father. And that's why God chose me as king. So this, finally, brings us to the title of my sermon this morning. What's the difference? What's the difference between Saul and David here? Because according to David, it's not just the worship David offered God, but Saul did not. It's more than that. David says the difference is the fact that he was chosen by God. In other words, David isn't chosen by God because... He does things right. It's not because he worshipped properly. No. God chose David, and then David chose to worship God. Then David chose to offer him the sacrifices. Then David chose to offer him highest worship. Let's think back to 1 Samuel for a second. Remember, the people of Israel, they sinfully demand a king, just like the nations around them. See, they didn't want to be different as God's chosen people. They chose to be just like everyone else in the world. And so God gave them what they asked for. He gave them the king they chose. He gave them Saul. But we saw even as Saul was sitting on the throne, David was anointed by God to be king. David was the king that God chose. Before David did any of the great things to read about, before his great faith in standing up to Goliath, before his great trust in God by not taking vengeance on Saul, Before he puts on the ephod and offers the sacrifices and dances and worships God. Before all that, God first chose him. See that's the difference between David and Saul? God chose David. And because God chose David, David then chose to believe God and to worship God the way he deserves to be worshipped and to offer him the best of what he had. You know, the same goes for us. We don't get to choose God or not. That choice is in God's hands, but once we are chosen by God, like David was, then we do have a choice to make. Will we worship God his way? Will we offer our God the best of what we have? Will we choose to live like God's chosen? David chose to do all of this, and it goes deeper than just how David danced and celebrated in this one incident. You know, we saw David did the job of a priest here. He wore the ephod. He offered sacrifices before God. We just read he offered the burnt offering and the peace offering. Does anybody remember what Saul did that lost him the kingdom? Let's go back in history for our passage today. Saul's crowned king not long after the Philistines come against Israel. Saul's waiting for Samuel the priest to come to make the offering before God, and Saul gets impatient. And this is what we read. Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come, way to push off responsibility here, within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me, El Gilgal. And I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So Saul's told, you did this. You offer these offerings before God, and now God's going to end your reign and choose a man after his own heart to be prince. But then in our passage today, read in verse 17 that David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And though maybe his wife didn't like how he did it, the way he worshipped, David says in verse 21, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. David did the same exact thing that Saul did. Is it coincidence? that David even uses the same wording Samuel does to talk about God choosing him over Saul? You see, there's a difference being pointed out here. Saul offered the sacrifice, and God takes the kingdom and ultimately his life from him. David offers the same sacrifice, but it's only because he knows that God has established his kingdom. What's the difference? What's the command that Saul broke? You see, David was chosen by God, and in response to that Highest of callings, he chose to live like it. David chose to live like God's chosen. Saul, on the other hand, we see, he did what he felt had to be done. His heart wasn't right. No, he offered the sacrifices because there was an end. I wanted to be victorious against the Philistines. Look at how he says it. I was afraid the Philistines would come against me. So I forced myself to offer a sacrifice to God. I forced myself to do it. Literally, it's what he said. We should be careful here. Saul did what he thought was the practical way to worship God because it simply had to be done. But David, David knew the privilege he had to be able to do it. David, from his heart, offered highest worship to God because God chose him. There's more. There's another difference being pointed out. What's the difference between Uzzah and Obadiah? edom Remember, Uzzah tries to protect the Ark and God kills him on the spot. The other one protects the Ark in his own home for three months and then for the rest of his life is able to be there to worship God and protect the Ark. And we're told repeatedly, God blessed him. What's the difference between the two? Uzzah did what he felt was practical to do. Uzzah was ready to do what had to be done in order to get the ark where it needed to go, in order for God's presence to be in the midst of his people. He did things his way. Obed-Edom, on the other hand, he relished in the presence of God. Wherever that was, he considered it a privilege. He enjoyed the great blessing of God's presence. He guarded the ark and his privilege of living in the presence of God. See, God's presence, worship, it wasn't a means to an end for Obed-Edom. It wasn't just a way to get something done. It wasn't just to do what had to be done. It was a reality that he lived out every single day. So I want to ask us this morning, what's the difference? What's the difference if we come here because we have to, or we do it reluctantly, or we do it with absolutely no expectations? What's the difference between that and if we come here because we want to? Because we relish in the opportunity to be in God's presence with our family in Christ. Because we want to offer him the highest worship. Because we come expecting to be blessed by being in his presence. What's the difference? What's the difference if we worship God his way or our own way? If we just do it practically rather than according to God's word? I mean, what if if what's important for me is just a message? So if I miss... You know, the singing of praise and worship to God, I'm okay with that. What if, you know, the most important part for me is the fellowship? So I'll actually show up five minutes before the sermon's over so I have time to fellowship with people. What's the difference? What's the difference if the most important part for me is serving? So the Sundays I'm on with the worship team or I'm in children's church, I'll come those Sundays because what's the difference? What's the difference? If, as God's chosen, we decide we'll be just like the rest of the world around us instead of choosing to be different, what's the difference if I see worship as my duty for two hours a week and then I'll just live like the rest of the world for 6.91 other days of the week? What's the difference if God's presence is evident in our homes? Like in open Edom's. His whole family was blessed because the presence of God was so clear and so evident. What's the difference if it's like that in our own homes or not? I mean, what's the difference if my wife or husband or children or in-laws or friends see how much I enjoy the blessing of having God's presence among me here in my house? What's the difference whether they see that I relish his presence? What's the difference whether we sacrifice what we have for the sake of Christ or not? I mean, what's the difference? What's it really gonna change? What's the difference? Brothers and sisters, What is the difference? What does it matter how we choose to live as the chosen of God? Raise your hand if you're really wondering what difference it makes. Does that make a difference in our lives? Like I said, I think the privilege we have to come together into his presence and worship him is very often lost on us. Even more, I think that and again, I speak for myself as much as anybody, the fact that we live every moment in his presence is very often lost on us. Do we know what a privilege that is? What a blessing it is? We forget that. We forget that every moment that we live is supposed to be lived as a sacrifice to God. It's supposed to be lived as the highest worship we can offer him. There is just a relish, the opportunity to be in his presence every moment, every day. For the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, mind and body... We belong to God. And how we use these things, our minds, our bodies, how we live, that is supposed to be a graphic illustration of the gospel. We don't need the ark. We are where God dwells on earth. How is that possible? Because we have a king, a prophet, a priest, We have one who made his sacrifice before God, who offered the greatest offering ever offered. God the Son, who took on flesh, lived his whole life as the highest worship to the Father, and then sacrificed himself to make peace between us and God. And his sacrifice, well, it's changed us. I was once an Uzzah, and now I'm an Obed Edom. I was once a Saul. And now I'm a David. So I say with Paul Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the worlds, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Brothers and sisters, God has chosen us to receive every spiritual blessing. He has chosen us for redemption by the blood of Christ. He has chosen us that we should be holy, that we should be set apart, that we should be different from the world. Are we choosing to live what we were chosen for? So here's what I want us to think about this week. Think about how often our lives are lived in ways that are practical. Practical rather than his highest worship to God. Let's think about the fact that every moment we're going to live this week is going to be lived in God's presence. And let's be honest. And let's determine if we actually live like it. I want us to think about whether or not our lives are a graphic representation of the gospel. Consider whether or not our lives are a sacrifice unto God. I'm going to warn you, choosing to live our lives as we're called isn't easy. It is not practical for living in this world. That's why the Bible calls it a sacrifice. But, brothers and sisters, that's what Christ did so we could live this way. So I'm going to ask you this morning, if you're here and you don't know Christ, and you're not living for Christ, then I'm going to ask you, what's the difference? Think about all of the habitues of life, all of the practical things we all have to do, how we live like they're just a means to an end. But without Jesus, what does that end? So without Jesus, what's the difference? But with Jesus, for those who have him, for those who know him. What have we chosen? How are we living out our faith? How are we living for him? See, he chose to take on flesh for us. He chose to live that life of highest praise to God, and he chose to lay down his life as a sacrifice. We have a choice to make. And so I ask everyone here, with all of this in mind, when we walk out of here this morning, what's the difference going to be? Let's pray. Gracious and holy God, Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you have called us to you that you have chosen us from eternity past to live holy and blameless lives before you. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would work in every heart here this morning, God, because we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make today and a choice to make tomorrow. We have a choice to make in our homes. We have a choice to make when we're out in the world Every moment we live in your presence, God, and every moment we have a choice. We can live like we relish your presence. Love, we want to worship you with highest worship, God. Love, we want to offer ourselves, God, as a living sacrifice to you who sent your son to die for us. God, we are fickle and weak and forgetful and as much as when we hear you speak in your word God we want to live for you we want to be pleasing in your sight God all the have to's of life all the practical means to ends God we lose sight of who you are and who we are in you And God, without you, what's the difference? What does it matter what we do if not for you? What does it matter how we live if not as worship to you, as a sacrifice to you? What does it matter? What's the difference? Lord, we want to see a difference. We want to see a difference in our hearts, in our church, in our homes, in the places we work with lost people all around us. Out in the world, we're surrounded by darkness. God, we want to see a difference. Lord, we want people to see us to see a difference because we want them to see you, God. So God, I pray as we move now and look back and remember the great sacrifice of your son on the cross. That, Lord, that we would look forward to today and tomorrow and every moment and that we would determine to live our lives as a sacrifice to you who loved us that much. Make a difference in us, God. Right here, right now. Turn our hearts to you. Revive each and every one of us by your Spirit, God. We praise you, God. We thank you. We get to live every moment in your presence, Lord, that you, the Lord of glory, the creator of the whole universe, you, Lord, abide in your people, Lord, that you are among us here, God. We praise you, Lord. We relish every moment. May you be glorified with every choice that we make, Lord. May we choose to live as those you chose to send your son for. Be glorified be glorified through our lives. We pray this in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.